Hi, my name is Crystal Lowe from Primeval New World, and you are listening to Genretainment. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Genretainment at SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your hosts, Marks and Julie, and today we chat with actress Jen Page, who you may know from the movie Gamers Darkness Rising or the web series Journey Quest, Chopsaki Boom, and Geek Seekers. She'll be talking about acting in these great projects from the Seattle area, plus telling us all about her newest film, Project London. Project London is an independent, feature-length, live-action movie packed with visual effects and animations created with the open-source software Blender, and it's made with the help of 250 worldwide volunteers. Paige tells us about the film, how fans continue to support it, and much more about her other projects. Now, what you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song from our web series, Reality On Demand, a song composed and performed by our friend T. Sean Hardy. And you can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. Now let's get to our interview with actress Jen Page. This victory cake is dedicated to our newest member, Nebraska A hundred years ago, back before Nilardians came to Earth, Command was doing experiments, unlocking the secrets of potential as part of a wee small top secret program loosely translated to Project London. You will be my beacon, Nebraska Higgins. The potential temporarily took over your mind. Why did you think they regulate the potential so closely in everyone? They're scared. Well, you're listening to Entertainment, and this is Marks. And Julie. And we're speaking today with Jen Page, actress Jen Page, who is in the movie Project London. Uh, you may also know her from the Gamers movies and uh, Journey Quest. Uh, thank you for She's being on the show. She's been in everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything geeky. That's me. <laughs> well, that's really all that I count. So. <laughs> yeah, that's all that matters. <laughs> me too, me too. Um, someone asked me a few years ago if I was worried about being typecast as a genre actress and I'm like are you kidding me that means I've gotten somewhere <laughs> I was gonna say people forget that in the word typecast there's the word cast which is always a good thing you know yes yes and it's like I do these movies because I love them and these are things I'm interested in it's not just because I happen to fall into it you know yeah it always helps to be passionate about the projects you're working on no completely otherwise it's like what why are you doing it I don't understand <laughs> Well, tell us a little bit about Project London. That's your, your current project. Yeah, we're currently running a Kickstarter, which will primarily and um, be used to actually mass produce the movie and actually get the master DVDs and Blu-ray copies made and out in bulk so that we can start hitting up uh, conventions and things like that. And it's going really well. So that's uh, incredibly exciting. For those who don't know about Project London, it's an indie sci-fi feature-length film that has over 700 special effects and over 250 volunteers have helped and worked on the project. And it's about... It takes place in a parallel present where an alien race has come to our planet. They're called the Millardians because their home planet was destroyed. And in order to pay rent here, they give us their tech. And uh, we form like a joint government. And the movie is about 
the underground movement that is trying to uncover the secrets of the Nilardians that they brought with them to planet Earth and how Earth is in danger. Hmm. Lots of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell us can you tell us a little bit about your role in the project and I think and about your character as well? Yeah, I play Zing Zing Six, uh awesome name. Blue haired uh Nilardian alien who is the communications officer to the underground movement called Project London. And she is helping protect the son of someone who is very dear, dear to her. And uh, the movie kind of follows him. His name is Nebraska Higgins. <clears throat> he loses his father early on in the film, so he's grieving with that and coping with the things that his father wor- was working towards that his father kind of shielded him against. So it's uncovering all of that, like what was his dad involved in and why am I involved with it? You know, should I side with the government? Should I side with this underground movement? And Zing uh, tries to watch out for him as well as make him sympathetic towards their cause. Now, obviously, you mentioned it's very heavy in uh, visual special effects. So can you tell me, can you tell us a little bit more about those effects and what the audience can expect to see? Most of the effects were done with Blender, which is an or open source CGI animation program. And a lot of it is just, well, you can see it in the trailer, you can see it in the music video that we have out for the uh, film soundtrack, where um, it's just amazing. When I when I first saw what they, what it was capable of looking like, it, it just really blew my mind. I've never seen anything like this come out of indie film in Seattle. And it's just really exciting to be a part of it. It's I there's very rarely a scene that doesn't have some kind of CGI tweak to it, but it really just helps build the world instead of just distracting, and it's just really, really cool. Lots of giant fighting robots and explosions <laughs> and flying ships and things like that. Not a movie that doesn't have giant robots. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, how did this project... Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> it just reminds me of when I went and uh, saw Transformers 2. I left the theater going, I want to be in a movie with giant robots. And I was like, oh, wait, I did that. Now, how did this, do you know how this project got started and how you got into it and kind of start us off at the beginning, how this came about? Someone thought, hey, we can do an independent mm-hmm. independent film with a whole bunch of really difficult, expensive special effects. No problem. <laughs> I can't really speak to their mindset on that, but Phil McCoy is our executive producer who previously knew Ian Hubert, our writer and director, who is also really at the helm of the, the Blender special effects. He's just amazingly talented. Ian approached Phil and said, hey, you know, I've got the script. It's like on version 2021 of the script. And uh, so I was looking to uh, do a movie. And I think, you know, when we filmed it, yeah, I I don't want to speak for them, but I just remember the atmosphere at the time. When we filmed it, we were obviously mindful of green screens, and it's seamless now. But there must have been some point where they were like, how are we going to make this happen? But they did it, and I I applaud them. But because it's yeah, this is really amazing. Now I'm guessing now. <laughs> and now, how was that filming with all that green screen? Was that something that you had you and the other actors had to get used to? Did you have a lot of experience with that? Uh, luckily, I have 
at least had some experience with pretending something is there when it's not, that sort of thing. But to me, it kind of applies with everything in acting. I'm talking about relationships that don't exist. I'm talking about, you know, to a character who isn't real, who I don't really know, that sort of thing. It's just another extension of trying to build that character and trying to, you know, I had to connect with Ying and uh, figure out who she was and kind of identify with her. So if I'm supposed to be shocked that, you know, in, in, in any role, if I'm supposed to be shocked that someone is dead or shocked that someone is shot, it's the same kind of acting where it's like, you're not really there. It's not really happening. So if I happen to be staring at a giant green sheet, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have any, like, tennis balls? I was going to say, the up? scary tennis ball is sick. <laughs> Did you guys see that with Top Saki Boom? We actually used that joke. <laughs> <laughs> there have been plenty of times that's been used. <laughs> Yes, uh, but you you would enjoy that scene. We definitely make fun of the uh, tennis ball on the stick. I gotta know, watch that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was mostly just screen screen, and I certainly remember saying, "Okay, where's everyone looking?" So that we're all looking in the same spot, you know. You have but, some help occasionally with the visual effects because I watched one of the behind the scene videos that showed the I think it's called the goose, the ship that you guys fly, yeah. and, the, and they Good actually name, by the way I like that <laughs> they actually used. Um, part of a of a helicopter i believe what was yes. left of it and and to give you something ground something real to be in uh, did that did that help how that and and was it kind of odd like having to like how fun was it to be in a helicopter move around and shake when it wasn't moving <laughs> yeah <laughs> i remember seeing one part and i'm like everyone lean to the left you know we all lean to the left um it was really cool to have that opportunity it was well, you've seen in that video where it's so decommissioned. It's a, it's an old uh, retired Vietnam Huey. It's in a, in a, like one of those open warehouse type of places at um, Plain Field, which is an air, airplane field. And it was really cool to work inside of it. And after a while, you start believing it can do what we're pretending it can do. <laughs> you know, like I, I, I stopped thinking of it as a helicopter. It wasn't a helicopter. It was the goose after that. And then other times, you know, now I look back and I'm like, oh, yeah, there was no way to get in a cockpit. You had to either climb in the window. You had to climb through, like, all the controls and everything. And at one point, I'm in an evening gown. I'm like, yeah, that was fun. (laughs) (laughs) You just got to flash everybody. That was tons of fun. (laughs) It was a long gown. It was a long gown, though. Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of like the old Star Trek where they'd all have to, you know, lean this way, lean this way, yes. and they'd shake the camera, you know, and, yeah. and uh, you know, eventually you get yeah, it. At, <laughs> yeah, at one point we we go into a flat spin, and um, I think they had a wind machine, I mean, like a giant fan, and we're all like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> There's got to be some funny behind-the-scenes footage of just watching that. <laughs> I bet so. So what um what kind of funny stories do you have from on set? And any bloopers or funny things that happened? Or uh, Yeah, I was reminded of a bunch when uh, the cast and crew just had a screening of the film. Um, I saw it for the first time uh, with everyone on December 3rd. And I just happened to be sitting next to a co-star. 
And I just, the entire film, I'm like, oh, remember this part? Remember that? There was one, one part where he flubbed a line, and, and it was just so funny how he flubbed it that we all got a case of the giggles. And, uh, you know, and you can't watch that scene without remembering that. But I think one of my favorite stories is um, we were filming at a house, a location, and that, that scene takes place pretty fairly early in the movie where there's like a, a Mexican standoff with guns and our characters end up leaving out the back. And originally when Phil, the executive producer, was giving me a tour of the set, um, we were walking around the back and there was one of those uh, back balconies that's kind of like a second floor deck off the back of the house. And he goes, yeah, and this is the scene where Jerry will be jumping off the balcony. And I'm afraid of heights. And I remember thinking to myself, God, I'm glad I don't have to do that. <laughs> Cut to later in the evening where I'm chilling out on the couch in between scenes, and all of a sudden, uh, Jeffrey, a co-star, was right in front of me, and he says to me, all of a sudden, just there, how do you feel about jumping off the deck? And I'm like, what? He says, how do you feel about jumping off the deck? We're all going to do it. And I go, um, well, if everyone's going to do it, I guess I'm going to do it. <laughs> And uh, I don't even get the luxury of jumping off the deck. His character actually carries me and throws me off the deck. Uh-huh. And he, he did it like three or four times. And, um, yeah, I'll never forgive him for that. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you get to land on? We had gathered up about seven mattresses and about <laughs> eight people to spot us. And... <laughs> And uh, we landed on those, and and it worked fine. No one got hurt. Mm-hmm. That's you know, that's indie filmmaking. You're prepared to do something that you did not plan to do. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah, I was not gonna hold up the production. I wasn't gonna be the person who goes, well, I don't know. <laughs> Let me speak to my agent about this. Yeah, I'm sorry. I need to call my manager. Can we just take a break? <laughs> 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 right. Your tires peeing out, peeling out, and <laughs> I'm sure it's happened. <laughs> you put on this blue wig. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Next. Well, we're the recast. You. You're not doing anything. Get in here. <laughs> now, uh, of the characters of the cast, I am curious about one of the characters. He's got mm-hmm. a gas mask on. Who's that character? Jerry. That is Jerry. Um, Gosh, I want to say they obviously sing the film, why he's wearing that gas mask and why he's completely covered. Um, it's not something that's like is a mystery throughout the whole film, but I kind of feel like someone would beat me up if I, if I get too much away. <laughs> <laughs> the gas mask all the time just makes me think of that Doctor Who episode with the, are you my mummy? And the gas mask. Oh, exactly. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you got that. Yeah, so nobody dies. Yeah, no, I love that episode. That episode <laughs> is so creepy. Mm-hmm. It really yeah, that's, that's the first couple episodes with Captain Jack, too. See, now you've started a ah. Um But yeah, we filmed that did we film that before that Doctor Who came out? We might have. No, oh, no, maybe not. But I don't remember at any point saying, are you my mommy? When I very well have, should have. 
Because <laughs> that's like the only thing I can do with a semi-British accent. It's just, are you my mommy? <laughs> are you my mommy? I just that is it. it. <laughs> I am making, I'm making that graphic and putting it on my Facebook. <laughs> Please do, because I want to, I want to post it on mine once you do. <laughs> All right, I will tag you. <laughs> Definitely have to give you credit. <laughs> So your blue hair, did you say that was a wig? No. Oh, my gosh. And um, at the time when I auditioned, I was red. I was like this orangish red. It was like flaming red. And um, I I got myself into it. I like to sketch drawings of my characters and figure figure out what they wear, how, you know, I'm a girl, uh, what they wear, what kind of shoes they like. (laughs) And uh, it it helps me identify and, and... build that character in in my psyche and uh i just pictured her with blue hair and so i did the sketch and uh sent it to ian and phil and said you know have you thought about being you know what about blue hair would that work and they're like you know we hadn't thought about but like this is awesome yeah go for it and i was like yes and then i was like how am i going to shift my hair from red to blue it took about two months maybe a month and a half and I had to go through like swampy green <laughs> oh yeah how long did you have to keep it blue for filming um you know I I was gonna give it at least two months afterwards and then I had gotten so used to it that I ended up keeping it for a good year after that and, and plus at the time right afterwards I started filming and co-hosting a weekly webcast for Wizards of the Coast and my screen name was Blue. Mm. So I kind of felt like, you know, it, it reinforced it. I, just, I kept it for a while. And then one day, <laughs> a little unknown story, I was pumping gas. And all of a sudden, I was just like, you know, I think I want normal hair color again. And I think I might have even changed it that day. It never went back. It was just the funniest little moment. <laughs> well, those bright colors are hard to keep. They they fade <laughs> really quickly. <laughs> Yeah, especially blue, too. Yeah, and then for a while there, I switched to, like, a hot pink, <laughs> and uh, and that was fun until I was at this French restaurant, and they had mirrors on the walls, and I, I look in the mirror, and this, like, hat caught my eye, and I was like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, God, it's the back of my head. There's double mirrors. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> oh, man. I gave up on the pink after <laughs> Well, I can tell you from experience, I had not entirely purple, but I had sh- bold purple streaks in my hair, and that Ooh. happened right before we moved. And it turns out when you go across the border and you've got multicolored, oddly colored yeah. hair, um, yeah. the border guards really pay attention to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember traveling, you know, to O'Hare Airport. Uh, <laughs> I thought, oh, geez, they're going to they're gonna hassle me, but... Um, they they were actually really nice, especially when they're like, what's with the hair? And I'm like, it's for a film. Then they were like, oh, really? You're in a film? You know, so, hey, you're in a film. It it opens doors. It opens countries. <laughs> <laughs> you should do that. And then they don't want to do an extra check on you. <laughs> yeah. And at one point, I lost my driver's license, and I had to go in and get a new license. And the guy at the DMD or DOL, whatever you want to call it, he was laughing his butt off, like, you're going to have blue hair on your driver's license. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Thought about it beforehand. <laughs> but it's got to be made done. His day. Yeah, it made his day. 
I don't know how much you can comment on this, but uh, I was curious if you um, could tell us a little bit about what Project London did, like with their Kickstarter and their how they developed their community, like once you got involved oh, sure. and what you saw. Oh, sure. We were just talking about this last night that they we wrapped principal photography in August of 2007. So this was a long time ago. This was before Kickstarter was, you know, in social media awareness. This was really new. You know, those were there. We were not in that frame of mind back then. But you know, they created a Facebook page and they created a website, <clears throat> and they've been blogging about the project ever since. Just uh, updates and film clips and. You know, whenever they had something to share that they could share, they would they would share it, and they've just slowly been building up interest and a bit of a fan base. Even though we don't have a movie out there yet, and there are over 5,000 fans on their Facebook, and they've got a email newsletter that people can just sign up and get updates. And I think that's really helped a lot. It was really smart of them to just get that communication going and build it slowly because the one thing we had was time instead of just trying to shove everything out the door at the end. So it was it was really smart thinking on, on their side to get that started early before the film was even out there. Yeah, it seems to be working quite well. It's been a really great Kickstarter. Um, I've, I've obviously been a, a, lot, a part of a lot of uh, Kickstarters, especially this year, and you see trends where there's a big spike and then there's a lull, and then there's a big spike at the end. This one has just been really steady and really positive. And what I really like about this Kickstarter is um, you're buying the DVD. You're, you're buying the Blu-ray. That's how you're contributing um, to getting this film out there. And it's not a question of, we want to do this film, give us your money, and then we'll be in pre-production, and then we'll be in production, and then two years later, after you've forgotten everything about it, <laughs> uh, we'll release the film, and then we'll ask you to buy it. You know what I mean? Okay. And so it's really just this great instant gratification of, I'm buying a DVD, and I'm helping them you know, share it with the world. That's all you got to do. So it's just fantastic. It's really great. That's a great way to do it, because it is expensive, because you have to order those DVDs yeah. uh, you know, in bulk, and this way you get your money in advance, So and, and make sure there's the interest for those. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your background in film. Okay. Take us back to the beginning. <laughs> How <laughs> It all started when? I joined, I used to work at Wizards of the Coast, and as a web designer. I designed uh, D&D's website for years and years and years. But uh, while I was working there back in, I think, 1999, on a whim, I joined a writing group that we would meet once a week at lunch. So I joined this writing group because I was writing this fantasy novel and really wanted to workshop it. And I met Matt Vansel, who was an intern in in the editing department at Wizards. And he was like, yeah, you know, if anyone has time, uh, we're screening we're screening this movie at Pacific Lutheran University. It's called Demon Hunters 2. It's a sequel, but you really don't have to see the original, and it's funny. And and um, I liked his writing. I thought he was a funny guy, and I wanted to go. There was like four screenings, but PLU was about 40 miles away from where I lived. 
And someone emailed me who was also in the writing group. He's like, hey, you want to go? And I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, let's go. And we went. And I laughed my butt off. <laughs> uh, it was so funny. Matt Vantel is just so <laughs> funny. And at that point on, and I say this a lot, they made me laugh, and then that gentleman couldn't get rid of me after that. <laughs> um, you know, they, I got in before we were actually a company, and we formed a company together, and I helped with a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff like location scouting and costuming and things like that for the original Gamers movie. Mm-hmm. And I've just been, been involved with them ever since. And that was really... I did some theater, I did some plays, uh, enough to know that I'm not a stage stage actress at all. And uh, this was really my first uh, film experience. I was just completely hooked. It was something I always wanted to do, and they just really helped me uh, affirm that within myself. And I'll always be grateful to Dead Gentleman for that, that um, I was able to just on a whim have that opportunity, and it's completely changed my life, really. Uh, you were one of the stars in uh, the second Gamers movie, Dort Miss Rising. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and I did, uh, even though I was tied to the company at that point, I did audition for the role. And um, I was helping them with costuming design. <clears throat> and I actually sketched out Lester's costume and had it approved before I was cast as the role. So I <laughs> often wonder if I would have changed it if I had known I was going to be wearing it. <laughs> Well, I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually really hard to construct. It, it was not easy. And, like, I, I had made my costume, and I had made uh, Kristen Doyle's as well, and uh, basically built around a bikini, really. <laughs> How do you do this? Um, but it worked out. <laughs> no costuming malfunctions. Yeah, and for people who haven't seen it, your character actually switches back and forth with a with a male version of your character, which I thought was pretty right. cool. That was hilarious. Yeah, it's, yeah it takes place between uh, the game table and then it cuts to the fantasy world where they're actually interacting. And, and uh, Christian Doyle's character, Gary, forgets that he's playing a female. So in the fantasy world, at times, it's a guy in a dress floating with all the women until someone reminds him that he is indeed a chick. And he's like, oh, yeah, and then it's me. Yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. And it's so true. It's so true. <laughs> it is, because people get these lofty ideas about all these characters they want, but then after a while they forget and they start playing more like themselves. <laughs> yes. And yeah, it's like, exactly. oh, yeah, that's right. My character is this, or they wouldn't do that, or whatever. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, it can be a little challenging if you pick something too far away from what you yeah. are like. And Mark's just looking at me like he's laughing at me that I'm talking what? so much about no. gaming. <laughs> Like you just added oh, no. as a gamer. She plays. <laughs> like, yeah. She's playing a ranger that wears like dead body parts. No, no, no. It's, <laughs> see, the problem. The problem is I don't eat or wear animals, but my character mm-hmm. was supposed to wear leather armor, so I mm-hmm. made it to where it was only the skin of the undead. So they were already zombified and dead by the time I oh, killed them wow. and skinned them. So because they, That's they incredibly creepy yet intriguing. <laughs> well, they vetoed the whole vegan pleather fake leather thing, so I had to come up with a plan B. And then I said, that's mm-hmm. it, I wear the skin of the undead. And you can't argue with that when you say it like that. Wow. I thought you were going to say the skin of your slain enemies, but well, undead just... 
But she specializes in killing undead. In the so. undead. And so then they said, did you, did you feel tested on someone else to make sure that, like, the zombie germs were off of it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think my character just can't get sick. Because they said, oh, you have to have leather armor and then, a, like, a mace thing club with bones. And I'm like, I can't do that. I don't believe in killing the animals. So then I said, that's okay. It's the undead. <laughs> wow. That's like, I applaud you. That is just... <laughs> <laughs> I have this thing. I really, of all the monsters, uh, you know, uh, archetypes out there, it's zombies are the ones that get to me because they're just first. They creep yeah, they're out. Just, <laughs> yeah, she's just creeped up by zombies. She won't watch. It's so unnatural. <laughs> I'm probably going to have nightmares because of this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad someone else will. <laughs> He can't get me to watch The Walking Dead. The only zombie stuff I'll watch be, are comedies. It's going to be a bunch of zombies and gas. Like Shaun of the Dead, yeah. Yeah, I, I love, love Shaun of the, of the Dead. Dead. That was my first zombie movie I could watch. You're going to have nightmares of, of zombies of gas masks asking if they're your mummy. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's something wrapped in packages and, and, and bandages. I think if we get Bruce Campbell in there somewhere, we have our, our next film. I think so. Absolutely. All you need is Bruce Campbell and you're good. <laughs> totally. So, so uh, you went on and you uh, recently acted in Journey Quest Season 2. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Uh, that was a lot of fun, uh, working with Bob Sapp. You know, people ask me, you know, what was it like working with Bob Sapp? He was actually really, a really nice guy. And, uh, you know, obviously he's very imposing. Um, but I'm one of those people that the more brass or imposing the person is, the more I'm actually at ease with them because I know there's nothing I can do to offend them, you know? So I feel right. like I'm I'm off the hook for, like, offending anyone, so I can just hang out and be myself, right? And that kind of translated to, like, his massive size as well. It's like, you're so imposing, I'm completely comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, really fun, really great guys. Those scenes were awesome. I got to do some sword fighting training, and, and that is something that I just think, totally kicks ass. Yeah, the the funny thing about uh, playing Starling was when we were doing the Kickstarter for Journey Quest, I knew I was going to be playing the Barbarian Queen, uh, Starling. And I thought, well, what does a Barbarian Queen wear but a fur bikini? And I made this <laughs> joke, you know, and it kind of caught on. And I'm like, well, I'll, I'll do a photo shoot, right? Because what's a photo shoot? It's a photographer, it's you, I'm going to make the costume, whatever. And then after all was said and done, I said to Ben Dobbins, um, I was like, so what is Starling actually going to be wearing? Uh, you know? And then he goes, oh, no, you're wearing the bikini. I'm like, I'm what? And he's like, oh, no. Bansel took that and, like, he made a whole joke around it. He, like, built the barbarian culture around that joke. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so how cold were you filming in a bikini in Seattle? <laughs> luckily, luckily, all my scenes weren't indoors. So oh yeah, it wasn't. I bad. didn't know how and, indoors the indoors was though. <laughs> right, right. No, I think I think I I often joke that it's not a production if I'm not freezing my butt off. But uh, I think I was more cold for uh, Dorfness Rising because there were a lot of outdoor things and it was raining. And I think it was like April, uh, and uh, March and April where we were filming outside and it was kind of dank and cold down in some of those dungeons. Uh, we were filming at uh, Fort Flagler, and it was just pretty, pretty harsh. But any time, to their credit, the film crew, the production was just so sweet. 
any time the uh, dance was like cut, uh, it was like people were throwing cloaks on me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, um, very, very sweet, and everyone you know really appreciated any any time. Uh, like Nathan Rice, his his chainmail and uh, gorget and everything, they were very uncomfortable, and we can all appreciate when an actor is trying to work and put on a performance and at the same time you know you're freezing or uncomfortable but um, me personally when when they say action the real world just falls away I'm not cold anymore I'm not hungry I'm not tired my feet don't hurt it's just purely what we're doing and and that's always really amazing and I'm really grateful for that too yeah it's like a combination of focus and adrenaline (laughs) yeah exactly exactly uh, you said you had to do uh, some sword training for Journey Quest for Project London. Did you do any kind of fight training for that? Uh, no. My character gets to run around with a big, big plastic gun. <laughs> 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 but, you know, and, oh, that's a side note that uh, Phil McCoy actually put up a whole bunch of props that are for sale from the movie, including my gun and the holster which is uh, pretty cool. I'm looking at all that stuff, and I'm like, oh, I want half of it because it's just you know, nostalgic for me. But, uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. I think all that stuff will go away pretty quickly when the uh, movie comes out. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no no fight training for that. It was, she's, you know, she's a communications officer. <laughs> is the, the 90-pound blue-haired girl going to do? <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's kick-ass, you never know. <laughs> yeah. I do get to aim my weapon a few times. I did shoot it. And it's like, you know, light blasters or something, you know. It's not bullets or anything. Did you, so. did you have to stop yourself from going pew, pew, whenever you shot it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's like, I got to go and pew, pew. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like if you have a lightsaber and it's actually filming, don't go, zoom, zoom, zoom. Yeah, it's hard yeah, not exactly. to do. <laughs> I believe we had the conversation of what are these weapons going to sound like? What was the energy blast going to look like? You know, because that, that helps. But, yeah. There's been a few times on different sets where I'll be like, bam, bam, oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we'll do the sounds for you. <laughs> now, you and Monty Cook, we did interview Monty Cook not too long ago, yeah. and uh, we briefly talked about Geek Seekers. Is there anything you can tell us about Geek Seekers? Yeah, we're premiering actually on December 21st, uh-huh. and we're going to premiere with two episodes. Really looking forward to that. It's, we, you know, we've, we, we finished that Kickstarter in February, and we had a lot of show development to do still, just how do we balance the entertainment with the actual investigation? You know, we wanted to be different, but we didn't want it to be completely fictional, you know. So uh, we really tried to find that balance of what would entertain us as geeks and the audience as geeks, as well as the people who might be tuning in just to see us investigate a uh, haunted building or look while well, we look for Bigfoot, that sort of thing. So um, just the, the editing process and the approach that we're taking. And I think that now that we think we get it, and obviously I really, everyone involved is interested in the uh, feedback that we get. And we're flexible enough that we'll be able to tailor ourselves a little bit. I think it'll go by a lot quicker now that we kind of got our groove and uh, know how we'll 
approach each investigation and things like that. Can you tell us what you investigate in those two episodes? Uh, yeah, it's the same investigation over a series of episodes. Mm-hmm. We're investigating a place called the Malloy Apartments. It's a cool old building in Seattle View District. I'm quoting exactly the episode. <laughs> and uh, there's re- reports of hauntings on numerous floors, actually, by people who lived there for years. Um, we had a, a connection with someone who was living in the building, and the, he knew the owners and knew the owners were really cool. Everyone just kind of knows. And when we contacted, like, the office manager and said, yeah, you know, we, we heard that we should investigate here, and they were like, oh, yeah, of course you should. Um, <laughs> Of course, you're calling us for this. It wasn't like, huh, what do you mean? Yeah, a lot of different variety of stories and, um, you know, interesting stuff. And I, I I think of all the things we can investigate, ghost hauntings are uh, the most prevalent. prevalent. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I could see us doing a lot of those. And it's almost like ghosts are easy, you know. Um, <clears throat> so I don't want to fall into that, but we will investigate more than just hauntings, but I, I can see us definitely doing uh, a couple of hauntings. Those are fun. <laughs> yeah, the other stuff's kind of tough. Like UFOs just kind of happen whenever. And yeah. I and I really would like to meet Bigfoot. Yeah. There's a lot of words to explore in Bigfoot. That would be yeah, fun. We, talk, we talked about what we don't want to happen. We don't want anyone to get hurt. We don't want anyone to get killed. We don't want anyone to get arrested. Well, that's not you fun. Yeah, we have like on. the show Creed. <laughs> well, now and if, if we ever yeah. do, yeah. if we ever go down to Area 51, we're telling people before we go. <laughs> <laughs> you can hopefully come get us because <laughs> I want to be found. <laughs> yeah. Well, we addressed the the reality show in a previous uh, interview and it was like, oh, don't worry about it. If something screws up, even if it's a reality show and it's a documentary, you can still always do pickups. <laughs> oh my gosh. See, we don't want to do, I don't want to do pickups. <laughs> no, you want it to be as authentic as possible. It's, more, it, it's a little yeah. bit more enticing that way, I think. Yeah, but the crucial question, the crucial question, I'm sorry, the crucial question by Geek Seekers is what color is your hair? Yeah. I'm blonde. <laughs> I'm blonde. <laughs> oh, good. It didn't turn into like cotton candy consistency and fall out after all that. <laughs> yeah, right. No. Mark was giggling. That happened. I used to work at a hair salon. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> like, we can investigate how Jen manages to change her hair color. <laughs> it's a mystery. <clears throat> and not, you know, burn her scalp off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and one other project we probably should mention is Chop Saki mm-hmm. Boom. <laughs> yeah, she mentioned that earlier. Go ahead and yeah. if you can uh, explain a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, Chop Saki Boom is a really, really fun uh, comedic web series, and it follows several actors who are auditioning and become cast in a fictional show. So there's a show within the show, and that show is called Final Zodiac Warrior. And all the warriors are modeled after the Chinese zodiac. So, and my character is uh, the pig warrior. And uh, um, my character, her name is Paige. I know it's really hard to follow along with that. And she's a gamer <laughs> girl. Uh, she's a gamer girl. And there's a final zodiac warrior online game that uh, she's like 
known for. And so she auditions for the show. She actually has to leave her basement from gaming and go uh, audition, and, and she makes the show. And she's a bit awkward, and she's always eating Cheetos. And um, <laughs> and it's just kind of modeled after the fact that she's a gamer, and um, her show persona is pig. So she wears a lot of pink, and she has pink dreads and in her hair and things like that. And it's a really fun show because... And we had a Kickstarter this year to fund four more episodes. There's four online now, and we're going to be doing four more in, I think, February. And we just filmed a music video for uh, Demon Fighters. (laughs) (laughs) We were on set on the green screen, and we're all talking about how we're supposed to be fighting these demons. And we came up with the song, Demon Fighters, Fighting the Demons While the Demons Are Fighting. (laughs) (laughs) Matt Sayer was uh, involved with the project, and he was on set, and he's a music creator, and he actually went home and recorded and composed the song, and it's amazing. (laughs) There's even, like, this female ballad in the middle of it, like anime, and I'm like, holy crap, this is great, and we played on the uh, end credits of the show, And when we were doing the Kickstarter, we made it a stretch goal that we would film a music video for it if we got the funding, and we did. So we just filmed that a couple weekends ago, and it should be out in January, I think. I don't want want to talk for for the uh, director and the editor, so. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, well, our web series, Reality in Demand, got accepted to LA Web Fest. I think, didn't didn't Chopstocky Boom also? I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I've been so busy that like I had to kind of move from project to project, and let me just nod my head and say yes, yes, that is true. I think it has. There's, you can nod your head all you want. It's radio, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> but congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Let's well, assume it has, because Mark, Mark keeps talking. I'm about pretty that. sure it is, because I, I think I saw it on the list. So. If uh, not, the rumor started here. The rumor started here. <laughs> if not, they should. Yeah. Well, <laughs> next week we'll hear, you know, that we won an answer or something. It's like, they're in after all. Ooh. <laughs> all right. Well, is there any other projects you're working on you'd like to mention? Oh, geez. Yeah, Geek Seekers and Chopsaki Boom and Journey Quest was big this year and just finished up uh, filming Gamers 3, Hands of Fate. Oh, yeah? Um, and uh, I, I can't, spe- again, I can't speak to when that will be released, but that was another fun uh, genre project. Mm-hmm. And uh, next year, I'm going to be focusing on, I've got two short films and a feature film that I'm developing, and I've kind of put those on hold while I was distracted by 2012, and I think that I really need to set aside some time and focus on uh, those for uh, 2013. And I'm also going to be doing work with um, Peter Atkinson with uh, Gen Con mm-hmm. next year. And uh, that's, that's a lot of exciting stuff because it's very open-ended and we're developing it and we're, we're just going to see, you know, with that common gaming link we're just going to see where that goes film-wise. So that's really cool, too. Great. I think we interviewed him. Well, yeah, we did interview we did him. Interview him. Uh, we were up there at Gen Con last year, and they were filming for um, – didn't they film some scenes? Yeah, you filmed some of Gamers 3. Gamers 3 while uh, they were there. So 
Uh, I do have a question for you about Gamers 3, if you can say it or not. Okay. Does your character in Gamers 3, are you playing the same character? And if so, uh, do you also have a, is there going to be a real-life counterpart somewhere in there? Oh, yeah. I do reprise the role as Lester in some of the fantasy sequences, but I do have a new character in the film. She, Her name is Penelope, Penelope Chalk, and she is the head writer and creator of a game that is played in the film. Uh-huh. So uh, that, that was really fun to actually have some more real-world time uh, in, in the Gamers uh, franchise. So that, that was really neat. Oh, good. Looking forward to that one. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Can you please tell us uh, or tell our listeners where they could find Project London online and, and any of your pretty other Pretty much projects. all your other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> We're all on Facebook. So it's facebook.com slash Project London, facebook.com slash Geek Seekers, uh, Top Saki Boom. And I have a fan page myself that I am trying to interact with people like daily because I, I just really enjoy the audience. And that is slash the gen page on uh, on Facebook there. And so I talk about all these things and more and occasionally just like, hey, what's going on? What you doing? So <laughs> <laughs> just love hearing what people have to say and what they're thinking about and what's going on in their lives right now. It's just what I really love about social media is that you can just reach out at any given point and interact with people. It's just amazing. It's really, really powerful, and I don't take any of those voices for granted, ever. Hi, I'm Ben Bays, executive producer of Aiden 5, the web series, and you're listening to Genre Tainment. Well, thank you to Jen Page for agreeing to the interview, and we wish her luck with Project London, Geek Seekers, which premiered just a few days ago, and the upcoming Gamers 3. So that's it for today's Genre Tainment. Check back next week with all new guests, including Victor Solis, the co-creator of the web series Generic Girl. And we'll be right back here on this channel at SciFiPulseRadio.com next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific. And you can also search the archives to hear any of our past episodes. And don't forget about the other great shows on this channel, like Ian Cullen's SFP Now, which typically airs on Fridays, and Jeff Trek on Saturdays. We'll see you back here next week with uh, all new guests. Until Until next time. time.